Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar. Hey, this is Ryan Taylor, a.k.a. the Penguin from Gotham, and you are listening to Geek Vibes Live. And here we go. It actually just pops up. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, welcome to an all-new episode of uh, Geek Vibes Review. Uh, today, we'll be breaking down the first three episodes of The Boys. Um, huge shout out to Amazon Prime for dropping three episodes, and not just the one. Um, I'm your host, Jawan, and I'm joined, as usually always, uh, by Tia. What's up, Tia? See, you give a shout out to Amazon, but I'm very angry with Amazon for not having dropped all eight episodes, considering season one dropped all eight episodes. So I'm a bit salty about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my mindset was if you're willing to do three and there's only eight, just do them all. Like, I mean, you did three, so it's like not many more to go. Just release everything. Um, but it reminds me of when we used to get screeners for the Marvel Netflix shows and it would stop like at the best point and then we had to wait till like the show actually came out to watch the rest of it. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing to do to have to wait. Um, when it's Netflix like- did that. Netflix did that with the Witcher screeners. They gave us the first five, and there was only three episodes left to the season. And I said to myself, "Just give me the last three. What's going on here?" <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I don't know. To me, I don't really get the idea behind that because the whole point of a streaming service is to be different than television. But if you make me wait weekly, it's the same thing with TV. Um, so, I mean, I don't well, really... Well, I also don't... I'm yeah. sorry. I also don't really understand if you're wanting someone to do a review. Like, you give them screeners, right? Because you want them to obviously give uh, amazing reviews so people will be inclined to tune in. But if I'm only watching the first, say, like, two episodes, the first two could be spectacular. The last, you know, several could be awful or vice versa. Yeah, and to me, it's like, I think sometimes they do that on purpose. It's like, we don't have a strong season, but if they just see two episodes and they like it, they'll tell everybody they liked it and they'll watch it. Um, Rather than if you saw the whole season and you're kind of like, ugh, it's not good. Um, But luckily for us, that is not a problem with The Boys Season 2. It starts off with a bang. Um, and it literally does not let up off the gas. Um, this is probably, I think I have the same feeling for this show. It's probably a little heightened because they can do more, but this is how I felt when I first saw the, the preacher, um, or, or preacher, it might just be called, um, the show Seth Rogen also helped give birth to, um, it's just one of those things where it's like, how can you, how can an adaptation of this be so good? I've never heard of Preacher. I've never heard of The Boys previous to both these shows. 
Um, and it's like, I just want to dive into like a whole bin of comics, um, because of the amazing job they did with this. But Tia, your boy started off season two, literally ripping heads apart. Um, what were your thoughts on the start of, uh, season two of the boys? Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, that was just a spectacular way to even start the season off, which I'm not sure if you remember, Joanne. We did actually get a look at that previously. They have released they had released the first three minutes of the boys prior to season two having come out. But it just was all the better because then you were able to finish watching afterwards. Oh, I absolutely loved it. First of all, I'm a huge fan of the song Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. So anytime you mix that into something, I'm going to be really freaking happy about it. But the fact that you have this, like, coincide of Giancarlo Esposito's character speaking very um, corporate-like, they're all kind of sitting around discussing the whole mechanisms of Vaughts and how to deal with it, all the while uh, some assistant is calling out, you know, food orders, as if this is a normal company, right? And then on top of that, you have Black Noir overseas just bringing the gore. I have to admit, Joan, that scene where he, like, literally rips the dude's, like, mouth open, I, I had to look away, because it's like, I already knew what was coming, and I knew with the boys, they were not going to shy away from actually showing that, so I, like, looked away, because I'm a big weenie when it comes to shit like that, but the two best parts in that whole sequence was, one, when the soup terrorist uh, literally sends that huge explosive blast of whatever fire towards Black Noir, which should disintegrate anyone. And he really looks like he barely had a scratch on him. So that interests you so much more because we barely got really any information on Black Noir in season one. And then, of course, at the end of that three-minute sequence where he's literally walking around with the soup terrorist's head and the little kid is sitting there and you think that Black Noir is going to do something messed up to this kid, but he then gets, like, the toy bunny or something and kind of makes this, like, little funny noise with it and then gives it to the child. And I'm like, this character is so complex and you literally don't see his face. He doesn't say a word, but there's so much personality there that it's just so interesting. And we're obviously going to dive further into his character, and I can't wait to see even more about his character throughout the season. Yeah, I, I will say uh, Gene Carlo, uh, the more I see him, the more I'm kind of like, he needs to be in a, like in Marvel or DC like immediately. Like this guy is slowly but surely becoming one of my more favorite actors to look forward to. He's becoming what essentially um Pedro Pascal is for me to where it's like anytime I see him, I'm kind of just like this is going to be a really good time. Like I'm going to have a lot of fun. Um so the Mandalorian having both of them together, I'm like, "Oh, I don't deserve this." Um, but no, I mean, it's like, a win-win situation. <laughs> there's no losing, uh, when it comes to that. But yeah, the, the, the scene where he's ripping uh, the guy's face apart, I'm not like, I'm not squeamish to it. I think I just didn't expect it. 
Um, like, I thought, like, maybe he was going to pull, like, a blade out and, like, you know, like, slit his throat or something. But when he pulled his, his mouth apart, I was just like, I wasn't expecting that. So I didn't really have time to, like, look away or, like, squirm or anything. It was just kind of like, wow. <laughs> like, he really did that. Um, but no, it starts off with a bang. I mean, you, you're absolutely correct. This this show um, does a great job, and we'll definitely get into it a little later, but it pushes boundaries. Um, and it's not afraid to be itself. Um, but yeah, it's a cold opening. Great song to open it. Uh, we see a lot more of him, which weirdly, we'll, we'll talk more about it, but it was kind of the only episode where we did. Um, so I'm kind of hoping... There's more of him to come. Um, but when you have a great opening like that, it's kind of just like you, you drop your mic. You, you don't really need much else. But um, it, it was a great way to kind of showcase uh, more so what, you know, this company wants the boys to be, which is just like, just go out and just kill people we want you to kill. I mean, it's as simple as that. And to America, you're heroes. Um, and then, of course, we go right to Huey and the gang. Um, Huey <laughs> looking as if he lives in a storage closet. Is that a storage closet? Yeah. It, it kind of looked like it, yeah. I wasn't really exactly sure where Huey was until he stepped out, and then you slowly started seeing. And then it came became quickly apparent that he lived in so, some sort of drug den, which was then inside some kind of mall. So now, of course, I'm going to go to malls and be like, yeah, there's, like, something underground where there's, like, not only drugs being peddled, but, like, fugitives of the law just hanging out. Yeah, I mean, we, who knows? We might even see Huey in them. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's just really interesting to see how underground, like, literally, uh, they had to go. Um, and essentially it looks like um, Mother's Milk, Frenchie, um, the lady, and, oh, no, the female, the female, right? Yeah, the female, uh, Kimiko. How do you um, not know that? Like, Karen Fukuhara is your wife. I mean, jeez. <laughs> I know Karen Fukuhara's name. That, that will never elude me. Um, her character sometimes will, but, um, Kimiko, uh, and, and Huey, it seems as though the arrangement is Frenchie and Mother's Milk provide, um, uh, I guess, medical um, expertise to uh, wounded drug dealers. And apparently Frenchie kind of does no questions asked. uh, Like like he sets up deals and stuff, no questions asked. Um, Mother's Milk is a character that will always make me laugh. Um, Guys that buff should not be that emotional. Um, It just, it's the weirdest thing. Um, But I, I love it. I love it. So take me through, Tia. Um, we obviously see Huey uh, showing us kind of like what they've been up to since the events of uh, the end of season one. Um, and then we see Huey going to meet um, what I, I was almost going to say Stargirl. I'm glad I did not. Um, Starlight. Starlight. There it is. It's too confusing. Um, we see them meet up. Uh, so take me through um, the opening of us seeing the boys. Well, so I do have to point out, of course, I have to kind of like name drop here how I recently interviewed Laz um, Alonso. I was doing so well on our actual interview saying his name, and now for some reason I'm like getting tongue-tied. His real name is like Lasoro, like very fancy, Um, but... 
he explained in his um, he explained in the interview that with Billy Butcher gone, you would expect someone like Mother's Milk to be the leader, right? He's very buff. He's had training. He just exudes that sort of um, aura that he would be the leader, but he very much doesn't want to be. And you can get that right away. As soon as you see the boys, they feel defeated. They feel leaderless. And you do feel this sort of, and you more so get this as the episodes go on, but I feel like I felt it right away. Huey very much distrusts Billy Butcher. So he does not feel like they need him at all, but the others do. They don't necessarily want to try to find who they are without Billy. They just are waiting for Billy. Whereas with Huey, he is still, he still has that momentum to do what's right. And that's why he meets up with Starlight. And I felt like that scene was so sad of them in the subway they're on the run. They can't be romantically involved, not only because there's so many, so many eyes on them and they're in hiding, but also because there's so many secrets. There's so many, so much baggage behind them. And you can feel that in their scene right there. So I really liked how they displayed where the boys were, but I wanted to say you kind of, um, I don't know if you were going to go into this or if you kind of missed it, but I was shocked at first to see Starlight so uh, involved in being part of the Seven, and then you have to remember that, yeah, she is part of the Seven, so she does have to do the, what's it called, the dog and pony show, pretty much. You know, she's there, and she's uh, making a spectacle. She's holding hands with Homelander, but then you see, you know, afterwards her taking the wig off, taking those heels off, you know, and stripping down to being Annie instead of being just Starlight. And I really like that because you felt that in season one, whereas the characters started off with this very, like, you know, bright eye, bushy tail type character who is excited to be that hero and then quickly just seeing how BS the whole thing was. And this is where she is at this point. You can tell that it is completely all an act. Um, and I just, I don't know. I really love that actor, Erin Moriarty. She is amazing. I think we, I said this in our season one review. She seemed like a character that at first I was going to hate. And I just love her. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the character did seem somewhat annoying because it was kind of like, um, where are you going with this character? Um, but obviously they developed her amazingly. Um, and she ultimately is the rogue agent um of the team and i love it i i, I honestly love it um i love how excited she is to bring them down um and her and huey um towards the beginning are more kind of like let's do it let's bring them down um and <laughs> i think what makes me laugh the most about those two teaming up to try to bring down uh the the team is the fact that they like, I think Huey sometimes forgets, like, he could die relatively easy. Um, <laughs> like, he talks about it, like, like, he has, like, invulnerability or anything, and it's like, no, like, the weakest member of that team could kill you. Um, you know, but, you know, he kind of just feels like, hey, 
it's either this or there's nothing else. Like, I don't want to run forever. Um, and that's kind of the, the approach that both of them have. And I, I love it. Um, so obviously we see them get together and kind of walk me through right after that, right after we see them agree on a plan um, to try to bring them down. Oh, shoot. Can you give me, like, a little bit of a, uh, a hint of what happens? I I completely forgot, like, the sequence of events. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think exactly. Um, I think right after that was when the plan ultimately was for Starlight to um, blackmail her friend from uh, the college camp. That oh, they were- that was so crazy. I'm sorry. Okay. That was so crazy. I forget the guy's name, right? But um, it was from that, like, you know, because she was overly religious, so it was, like, that Christ uh, kid camp or whatever. Um, And so she decides that because this guy works in the lab part of Vought that she can blackmail him because you find out his character can pretty much regenerate limbs and that was so messed up, that scene, because at first you're like, oh, okay, this guy is, like, you know, prostituting himself out. And not every – you find out in season one, right, that not every soup is as privileged as the seven. A lot of them are just walking around with powers and no real options for them. If they're not marketable, then they get nothing. And so obviously this guy is needing to make extra money and he figures he's going to capitalize on his abilities, which is really messed up because then that pretty much shows that this guy who paid him to cut off his arm had like some, because the way he looked relieved, this guy, he's like, oh, thank you. Like, oh, you're scary. You should never be around people because you literally enjoy cutting off limbs. And if this guy couldn't regenerate limbs, then I'd be scared of what this guy actually was going to get into. Um, So, and it's crazy that this guy is into, not into it, but allowing himself to be a part of such horrific acts when he seems generally like a really nice person. Um, And then Starlight meets up with him and they kind of have this whole thing where they catch back up on old times, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, she is wanting him to steal some compound V to help her reveal it to the world. And she's pretty much saying, like, well, if you don't, then I'll release this video I took of you literally allowing someone to chop off your arm. So messed up. Um, But that is what she's willing to do, right? She is willing to go that extra mile because you have to think about it with starlight. She really did not expect, first of all, any of that It is the true example of never meet your heroes because literally within seconds of being part of the, the seven, she's sexually assaulted. She is, you know, demeaned. She's shown how awful these people are. So to her, she wants to take the whole thing down and this is what she's willing to do to get to that point. And that was, oh, God, I did not expect that, like, with that character. And it just shows that, like, the boys does not give a shit. They will go there. They are not afraid to go there. By the way, I don't know if it's at this part or not. I feel like it was in the beginning. But I absolutely loved Seth Rogen just being Seth Rogen in this show. 
Yeah, no, Seth Rogen being his most authentic self at all times is, is always a joy. Um, we did skip a little bit over, um, we did see how, uh, God, what's the guy that runs really fast? Why can't I think of his name? Uh, A-Train. A-Train. Um, so we do get a little look at, um, you know, how he was recovering, um, since the events of, uh, the end of season one. So we do get a peek at that. Um, and, and like you said, the, the crazy guy that's in the S&M, that was very weird. Um, and you did leave out, we won't go into detail, but he didn't only offer uh, for the guy to cut off of it. Well, you know, I didn't I didn't know how explicit we wanted to be on this podcast. But, yeah, no, he, uh, he, uh, I, you know, I don't have one, so I can't say. But even if I could regenerate, I don't know how willing I'd be to put that on the table. And he just kind of, like, threw it out there like it was nothing. Well, you know, for $1,000. It's like, oh my god, dude! Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, that was—I don't know what was more weird, him offering it or how excited the guy willing to pay for it was. Yes, uh, he was like, "Where's the ATM?" Like, it's as if someone told—it's as if someone told you, like, "Hey, a limited edition Funko Pop of like Ben Affleck's Batman." You know, you'd be like, "Oh, sure, let me go to the ATM." But that got no, no, no. It was it was weird. It was very weird. <laughs> yeah, and and the crazy thing is, I, I'm so out of touch on on on. I guess I guess the world out there. I thought him cutting off his arm was kind of more of like um like a violence thing. Like he had like a a rush to like you know do something violent. I didn't know it was like a whole sexual thing. I guess. Um. So I'm like, oh, well, I mean, there is. There is a category called, you know, sexual sadism. So, you know, that's a thing. I was, I'm completely out of that loop to you. I had no idea. So I'm like, oh, you know, it's probably like a guy who gets picked on a lot and kind of wants to take out his aggression. So I was like, oh, okay, I can get it. It wasn't until he asked about, like, the other stuff that I was like, oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Um, nasty. That is super nasty. Um, but no, uh, so we can kind of fast forward a little bit here. Um, obviously, and I think this is still in episode one. I could be wrong, though. Uh, I think fast forwarding here, we see um, Homelander still trying to find his, uh, I want to say his true compass, to which he thinks is being a father. Um you know, since oh, it's go ahead. Rem, when it comes to the point, if it has already, see, that's the thing. I'm like, my head's all jumbled with the events. But we have to talk about uh, Holander's scene with that poor kid. Not not Becca's kid, because him too, but the other kid, the blind kid. Oh, my God. It's like, Holander, you're a monster. <laughs> Oh, yes, that was actually, I'm sorry, this is going to sound horrible, that was hilarious. Um, oh, my God. I don't think I've laughed that hard all 2020. Um, I love how he's like, yes, take me to this new recruit. And then, like, he's watching him, and he's like, oh, my God, very good. And then he just kills him, and she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, why would you try to bring me a blind guy to be on our team? Like, what 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 would be the purpose of that? 
And it wasn't until, like, he said it to I was like, well, he kind of has a point. Like, why do you want a blind guy on your team? <laughs> like, no one, says that. No one says that about Daredevil. Daredevil comes, and you're like, wow, thank God. We're happy to have you. Like, I really... If I'm fighting aliens, <laughs> or even, like, <laughs> heavy armory, the last thing I want you to tell me is, hey, hey, I know there's, like, a whole bunch of gunfire here, but Daredevil's here. Daredevil? Why did you call Luke or like Iron Man? Why did you call him? Uh, well, he fights really good. No, 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 no. T- tell him he can stay home. I'll, I'll, I'll just die over here. Um, so like that's immediately what I thought. I was like, yeah, I. If, if I'm trying to be saved by someone, I want to look up and I'm like, you, you're blind. Like, can you see the bullets coming? Like, um. So as Holander a person- didn't need to. Holander didn't need to make the kid deaf as well. <laughs> No, he did not. That was just, like, overkill. It was like, all right, Homelander, I think he gets the point. (laughs) Oh, man, that was so bad. It's like, I knew it was happening when he was, like, too overjoyed that she was like, and I found another one. And he's like, oh, my God, yeah. And he's like, that's amazing. And I was like, Homelander's never this joyous about anything and when he was like i just have a question you know you can't see anything but what if i just do this and i was like no oh god oh jesus christ (laughs) yeah um no it was it like i said it was it was a really good laugh by me and i know that sounds like super sadistic i'm sorry uh but it was just it was another thing i didn't necessarily see coming and when it happened it was just like that was kind of funny um but no, um, yeah, Homeland, I should have assumed that w- when it comes to Homelander. Um, but we do see Homelander pretty much letting um, the lady that, that has taken over on keeping uh, the team in line, which she does a horrible job of. But um, mm-hmm. Homelander, I control what happens here. Don't worry about, your job is to make sure I'm happy ultimately. Um, and, you know, if I'm not, you'll hear about it. Um, so I love that. I love that Homelander was kind of just like, nah, the last person here kind of ran things the way that I didn't like. Mm, not anymore. We're going to do things the way I want to. Um, and I loved when she was like, save the world. He was like, nah, save America. Um, she was like, yeah, oh, not <laughs> America. That's it. I only care about America. Um, like, I, I just love how completely opposite of like a Superman Homelander is. Um, and it, it's, it's hilarious, but, um, well, we do, go ahead, Tim. Really quick, two things. Um, there's a hilarious meme that's like how Americans see the U.S. And it was a picture of Henry Cavill Superman. And then underneath is like how the U.S. really is. And it was a picture of Homeland. And I'm like, yeah, 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 there you go. Um, but, and so that's why that whole, like, you know, the Save America thing was so hilarious to me. I want to say really quick, and I know I'm probably skipping ahead, but with that one girl, right, who's trying to keep everything together, and, you know, he really just wants her there because he knows that he can easily bend her to his will. What I love about Giancarlo Esposito's character is the fact that he doesn't have powers. He's just a regular dude. And yet he stands toe to toe with Homelander as if Homelander couldn't just laser him in half. Like that is what I love where Homeland. And again, I know I'm skipping ahead. I'm not going to go too much into it, but just the fact that like 
his character tells Homelander, no, I'm in charge. You're just like a pathetic lab experiment. And what you say doesn't matter. So sit the hell down. And I just love that because I'm like, Homelander could literally laser you in half or he doesn't. There's so many ways that he could easily kill you and you couldn't do anything about it. And yet you're just sitting there like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Huh? Huh? Yeah. And <clears throat> sorry, I, I was, as you were talking, I was pulling up everyone's name so I could start calling them by their proper names. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, what I loved about that was, I mean, a lot of people tend to call Homelander on his BS. Um, you know, uh, because here's the biggest thing. Um, his son, remember the deal that he made, which was pretty much you let Billy Butcher live um, and I'll let you see your son. He 100% could just kill her, kill Billy, and then just take the son and, like, you know what I'm saying, and, and raise him on his own. Um, so a lot of people are able to call his bluff because I, I do think he is somewhat under-progressed mentally. Um, yeah. Everything that he is physically, he lacks it mentally. Um, so a lot of people are able to call his bluff, and he's kind of like, oh, damn, I didn't think you'd call my bluff. Um, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I called it. Um, but I will say, and we can kind of generalize this rather than necessarily breaking down each scene. Um, the character I felt the, the sorriest for, and I know this is maybe going a little ahead, um, was Maeve. Um, yeah, I'm sorry for her. She um, she kind of just seems like she doesn't necessarily want to be here, but knows she has no other choice. Um, and it reminded me of when they were in the plane last season. Um, and she oh, was like, let's save these people. And he was kind of like, yeah, no, sorry. And she was, <laughs> he was like, he was like, if you keep arguing with me, I'll let you die with them. And it was like. Yeah, sorry, guys. I don't really want to die, so I'm going to go ahead with him. Um, but no, I mean, she kind of makes it clear, like, everyone I try to have a relationship with, he comes and kills them. And it's like, why, though? <laughs> like, he doesn't want you. Like, that's so clear. Why Why is he, like, this, this crazy? Because I think, uh, and by the way, I've, like, gone back and rewatched The Boys Season 1 a few times. I still can't watch that plane scene. I watched it once when I didn't know what was going on. And then after that, it's like, it's too much. Like it's too heartbreaking for me, the way they film it. But, um, what you call it? I mean, I think there's a part of Homelander that even if he isn't with me, he's still possessive because as you just said, he's underdeveloped when it comes to like mentally and even emotionally. So to him, even though him and Maeve aren't together, it's like, that's still his, right? He even says that in season one. There's a scene where they're, like, cheering to the crowds, and he tells her, like, if I, you know, thought that you had moved on to someone else, I just don't know how I would be able to handle it. And so when Maeve, you know, you see her in her regular outfit, which you don't see that a lot in the others, right? You see Starlight, obviously, in civilian clothes, but all the others are relatively mostly in their costumes. So she may have, like, dressed as a civilian, and she checks up on her ex-girlfriend in the hospital, 
And it's so clear she wants to be with this woman. The woman wants to be with her. And the woman just thinks that Maeve is just kind of doing her superhero bullshit, right? But in reality, Maeve's like, no, it's not that I'm scared of us going public because, you know, it's a same-sex couple. I'm not scared of going public because you're a civilian and I'm a superhero. I'm scared because literally this person will not hesitate to kill you. Because he simply killed someone who sat next to me. How the hell do you think he's going to react to someone who, you know, she's been intimate with, who she loves? No, she's keeping her at an arm's like for her own protection. And that is like the truth to a T of why she does this. I do feel bad for me. I felt bad for her in season one because I think that she is just jaded. She knows how it is. She knows how... First of all, she knows how this boys club works and she knows how dangerous it can be to be around Homelander because no one stops him. There is no accountability. They let him do whatever he wants to do. And Maeve knows this. And even though Maeve is extremely strong, I think she knows, too, that she wouldn't be able to defeat Homelander. Well, no one outside of a character we will introduce very soon in our review. Mm -hmm. Um, short of that character can really put up with uh with Homelander, but um, I do want to say because me and you love this part, so we'd be remiss if we didn't end our uh, episode one review with um nothing better than seeing um well let me not say that sorry let me back up a little bit um obviously <laughs> obviously we see um we see the team struggling like you said without Billy. Um, Huey is not a leader, not yet. I, I think they're working up for him to become the uh, somewhat yes. leader down the road. Um, but he's not there. Um, so Frenchie and Mother's Milk, obviously going along with Huey, go to the head of the CIA. She gets her head blown off to you. <laughs> oh, I know that, was, and I liked her character too. I was not expecting as soon as they were like, "Oh, something's wrong with your nose." I really thought that, like, maybe the character, you know, they were going to have her where she was going to develop cancer eventually, right, or a brain tumor, and you know, eventually would die off. I didn't think that. Literally, right then and there, it was like, no, head explode. Yeah, no, I did not see that coming either. <laughs> I was very much <laughs> watching that like, oh, no, that was, wow. Um, but I will say I have the hugest crush on her. Um, I have since watching the movie Crash. Um, so I love seeing I love seeing her anytime I can. But I will say. Her last name. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Her last name is Esposito, too. No relations, though, I don't think. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I'd hate to have to, to hate him. Um, so, no, no relations whatsoever. Um, but, obviously, the head explodes. They run back to um, to their lair. I call it their lair, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> back to uh, their lair. And the episode ends as beautifully as you can end an episode. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the guards gets thrown down the stairs. Everyone's like, oh, my God, like, who the freak is it? And it's none other than, obviously, the heart and soul of this damn show, Mr. Billy Butcher, reminding us again that Daddy is in jail. Um, 
I can't get enough of this character. If they ever kill him off to you, I'm telling you this now, don't ever ask me to, like, do a review of, like, the show going forward. I'll have no interest. Um, without Billy, Billy Butcher, I just, it's, what is this show? Like, I, I need this guy. Um, <laughs> I was dying through episode one, like, alright, show him. Like, where is he? Um, but no, I mean, him coming back in that fashion was just like, alright, you know, we're all ready now, let's, let's do this. And Frenchie makes it known, he called Billy, because they need a leader. Um, mm-hmm. so, what were your thoughts on how, uh, episode one ended? Well, I'm really happy that you said that, right? Frenchie and Mother's Milk know the reality of is that they're, you know, two highly capable people, but they need structure. And Billy, for as chaotic as he can be, is the proper structure for them, right? Um, And, you know, for Huey, Huey has this moral compass, which is really great, but it with Frenchie and Mother's Milk, you know, Frenchie obviously is a little bit more, I think, uh, you know, underground than Mother's Milk is, but Mother's Milk has done some shit in his day too. So it's like, they're used to this life and they are past the whole, you know, let's do this the right way type thing. They need someone like Billy who will get his hands dirty, who is willing to, make these really tough calls and that's why they need someone like him. And I just, I love Carl Urban. Anytime I see him in the boys, it's like a reminder saying to myself, yeah, Carl Urban is great. Right. And I feel like since season one, his beard has gotten even more glorious. So it's just like all around a fantastic scene. And I, just his accent too. And when he comes back, I'm like, oh yes, okay, team's back together, even though Huey looks like he could not give two shits and is in fact angry that Billy is back. Yeah, because he wanted to be the leader. He thinks he can do this without Billy. Um, And I think he forgets he's only in this because of Billy. Um, So, you know, it's a constant reminder of the big brother, little brother scenario to where it's just like, I'll always be known as blah, blah, blah's brother, you know, rather than my own person. Um, So I think this is a journey for Huey to either, you know, realize um, his position on this team or for him to actually become the leader. Um, So it's very interesting for Huey. Um, But we get into episode two. Episode two opens with showing us the events of after Homelander kills the... um, the head of the uh, the company, and, um, you know, takes Billy to his wife that he thought was dead this whole time. Uh, and apparently IMDb classifies the kid as Butcher's son. Um, so I guess seemingly the kid just took the Butcher last name because that was probably his mom's last name at the time. Um, but obviously it's Homelander's son. Um, and we kind of see everything get pinned on Billy obviously Billy and the team, um, but pretty much Billy. (laughs) Um, He is wanted for the murder. Um, And it's just, I'll let you get into this, this whole toxic, torturous um, relationship Homelander has um, with his son and with Miss Butcher. Um, I'll let you take that away, too. Yeah, because it was something that I was thinking about as I was watching, you know, when the when the scenes are presented before you, you're just kind of 
taking it as it is, right? Homelander trying to have this sort of relationship with his son that's obviously uneasy because it's Homelander, and then um, Billy being framed for the murder of Madeline Stilwell. But the more that I was watching it, this sudden like realization came upon me that this is literally the scariest thing that Homelander has done. Uh, to me, out of all the other crazy crap that he's done, because literally... And I guess trigger warning for anyone listening, but he raped Becca um, and that child is a product of that sexual assault, right? Homelander represents that for Becca. And now Becca is forced to play, to, to play house with this sadistic person who's trying to act as if everything is just hunky-dory and completely okay. She has to entertain it in, his, in her house. Not only is she terrified for herself, but terrified for her son because obviously her motherly instincts are coming in. But there's a scene, and I forget if it's in episode two or episode three, but it kind of just like is caked together with this where the Homelander in such few words tells her pretty much to like chill out and he's passing by her and his hand ever so slightly goes up to like run across her forearm. And I'm like, Homelander is, you know, it's bad enough, right? That you have the deep interacting with starlight, right? But having Homelander interact with Becca is just on a level that is so messed up. And obviously the writers, like, I'm not mad at the show at all for doing it. Like, the writers know what the hell they're doing when it comes to things like that. But to me, that's the uneasiest shit that Homelander does, at least in these entire first three episodes. Yeah, I mean, what was <clears throat> very crazy about this is is how this show has a way of shining light on important issues, but in a way to where it's not uh, overtly political. It's more so just like, this happens. Um, and, and I think it was their backwards way of kind of showcasing how Hollywood works, um, to where it's like, you have all the power, you know? And Homelander, I, I, this is how I took it. I'm not saying this is how the show was portraying it, but I took it to where it's kind of like, Homelander is Hollywood, um, to where it's almighty, all-powerful, um, and you're kind of here just like, I'm just trying to exist in it. Um, but then when something happens like that, um, it's kind of just like, well, who's who's going to stop us and who's going to believe you? Um, and that's ultimately what we see she ran into when she was telling the, the company, like, hey, like, get me out of here. They're kind of like, we don't really want to upset Homelander. That's like the equivalent of, we don't to get rid of this actor or this director so like you kind of just have to deal with it um so it was very important to kind of showcase that um and you know th this show is it, it gets some stuff um but billy is going through it on his way back here but we do see ultimately mm -hmm. Billy makes a deal with um the new uh the retired lady who um is seemingly coming back to to try to help help Billy out a little bit. Um, the deal apparently is find out who wrecked the shipyard. Um, and I'll allow you guys to go back to your families and I'll allow, you know, Billy to have his wife back and relocate them. 
Um, I'll ask you, Tia, we're fast-forwarding here a little bit. Please correct me if anything else stood out to you before uh, before this moment, but um, how surprised were you to find out that Kimiko was trying to express to Frenchie that the guy on the surveillance video was her brother, even though she could have just wrote brother? I don't know why she kept writing the boy, um, but um, seemingly the super-powered being that they're looking for is Kimiko's brother. I don't know if I was shocked at all. I just thought, oh, okay, that's a good way to kind of bring this together because at first it's kind of like, okay, what? why does it matter who this person is, right? And it's, okay, obviously it's her brother, so that's going to add an extra layer. Um, I liked it. First of all, I thought her brother's powers were awesome. Um, and I think, as you said, this show does things without being overtly political. I mean, anything her brother was saying about what Americans do is completely true. Um, Nothing really what he was saying was all that incorrect. Um, And I don't need to get hate by saying that, but I, he was speaking. I was like, yeah, I mean, they they are going to torture you. They are going to do this and they are going to do that. Um, But I liked what the brother added because um, I feel like in season one, Kamiko was fairly one dimensional, not saying that there wasn't other added layers to her, especially as her and Frenchie developed. But I think with the brother, it added this like softness to Kamiko and really gave way to these beautiful scenes between them that you really felt the emotion from a character who doesn't speak. Um, and then seeing that they have their own sign language between them, which is really a beautiful just thing. But I, I wouldn't say that I was shocked. I would just say that I like that that's the direction it went in. Yeah, no. And what's crazy is, like, okay, so <laughs> this is how slow I am, right? So Kimiko keeps writing the boy, right? And I'm like, all right, this is really weird. When I tell you it legit took Frenchie saying it's her brother for me to go, oh, shit, that's her brother. Uh, I was not <laughs> putting down whatsoever. I was lost here. Um, but his powers are are so cool. Um, like, his powers are so cool. I'm kind of like, damn, Kimiko kind of got, like, the weak side of this, of this whole ability thing. Um, obviously, besides her being able to... Not regenerate, but it's really hard to kill her. Um, but I love that scene, and I kind of want you to go into the fight scene between uh, Kimiko and her brother when she's trying to just kind of capture him to, to, to stop him from escaping. Oh, I thought that was beautiful, honestly. Like, it was so well choreographed. And the whole thing where you can feel that their brother and sister, they don't want to necessarily be using their powers on each other and they don't want to be fighting. But at this point, Kamiko, first of all, she's obviously gained a sort of camaraderie with the boys. And she also knows that this is for the best for her brother, because if he's just left out there, then he is going to be hunted down by, say, Homelander and the Seven. And it's better if she helps bring him in to that contact. So at least there's some of a hope that 
he, you know, will be hopefully treated more fairly than we eventually see him being treated at some point. But no, it was so well choreographed. And that's the thing about the boys, right? It's not just this show about shocking gore or anything. It has good fight scenes that will definitely scratch the itch of, you know, a superhero show that you're hoping to see fight scenes out of. So you'll definitely see those. And I think that the fact that they were brother and sister and those two actors did a great job of conveying those emotions was just a wonderful scene. Yeah. And to me, I I think what what stood out was um, seeing the issue between Billy and Huey where Billy was trying to train the, the kid uh, to bring him in, and Huey's like, no, that's her brother. You can't do that. And it's like, dude, this is our ticket. Like, this is our ticket out of this life so we can go back to normal. Like, what is your problem? Um, and ultimately, once Kimiko is able to uh, bring down her brother so they can uh, capture him, uh, we see Billy deck Huey uh, and tell him, don't get in between my misses again. And that ultimately is Billy trying to just say, like, I just want my family. Like, I thought my wife's been dead. This but whole- I think- Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just have to add really quick. I think Huey's thing against Billy is that, you know, throughout season one, Billy really beat, not Billy, sorry, Huey really gained an affection for Frenchie, Mother, Smell, Kamiko, those became his friends, his family. And when they really needed help, Billy was just kind of like, piss off, I'm going to go do my own lone wolf thing. And Huey's like, I've been following you this whole time, thinking that like you're the shit, but you don't really care about anyone. Obviously, he cares about his wife, and we know that. But to Huey, it's like, Billy just seemingly cares about one person, right? Where Huey can care about multiple people. And also he's naive. He hasn't been in this life as long as Billy has. But I think that Billy walking away and not willing to, you know, put his life on the line to go and save Frenchie and Mother's Milk really spoke volumes to Huey. And I think that he sees Billy just as a selfish human being, so when he sees Billy trying to take down Kamiko's brother, he's pissed because he's like, you know, that's Kamiko's brother, that's family. And you're just going to, you know, you don't care who you hurt as long as you get to your main goal. It doesn't matter if, you know, Mother's Milk's wife and kid is, you know, jeopardized. It doesn't matter if Kamiko loses a brother. As long as you get your happy ending no one else matters. And I think that's what Huey dislikes because he knows that if it comes between him and Billy, you know, getting his wife back, Billy will, you know, throw them under the bus in a heartbeat. Yeah. And to me, it's not even necessarily throwing them under the bus. It's a situation that seemingly seemed like it was a win-win for everyone to where it was like, dude, if we turn him in, it could be our ticket to having our lives back. Um, and Huey kind of just has this defeatist attitude to where it's kind of just like, no, it's bring them down or nothing else matters. And (laughs) Billy is like, no, 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 I have something to live for. Um, I I can't play this game of, you know, if, if they kill, if the seven kills us, it's, it's, it's cool. At least we got to kind of like get a hit on like, no, like I have something to live for. Mother's milk is like, I have something to live for. Um, so I'm kind of watching Huey, and I'm kind of like, if anyone's selfish here, it kind of seems like he is. Um, 
and so we can fast forward a little bit. We see Homelander and Maeve doing a uh, an infomercial for the the army. Um, and Storm, what is it? Storm, not Breaker. What is Frog. that? Storm. 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 Storm Breaker is Thor's uh, axe hammer thing. <laughs> that's right. That is Storm Breaker. Um, maybe that's why I was thinking that. But anyway. Uh, Stormfront makes her appearance, and she is hilarious. Uh, Tia, walk me through your thoughts on the introduction of Stormfront. Oh, Stormfront, Stormfront, Stormfront. I have to say really quick, I know we're going to get into this when we finish up the review in the third episode, right? But I hate that Stormfront comes onto the scene and makes so many amazing points when it comes to like, you know, how women are treated, you know, they, they have, and I'm, you know, obviously fast forwarding here, but I'll come back. I promise I'll come back. But, you know, all these like great points of like how women are treated, you know, all they're being asked is girl power, girl power, great, girl power, great. And it's like, she's making all these amazing points. And then you find out who she really is. And you're like, why are you the character making these amazing points? What does that say? I don't like that. Um, but anyway, I do love that she kind of like blew up the whole, like she revealed the whole shit, you know, Homelander and Maeve are trying to act like they're in the middle of the desert with the troops. And she's just like, oh no, this is a set. Like, and she's like, hey, I'm, I'm Stormfront. I'm your new, uh, your new teammate, she's, like, live streaming it the whole time. I don't know if you actually, like, noticed her live stream, but people, you know, they're having her viewers comments, like, Homelander shook right now and everything. So that was, like, uh, an interesting thing to kind of focus on in that scene. But, I mean, I got to say, that actress, I think her name is, like, Aya Cash, She's gonna she's gonna give us one hell of a performance this season. Yeah, she's slowly becoming one of my favorite characters uh this season. Um and, and what I love the most about her, and we'll we'll get into what we didn't like about her. Um and but what I do like about her is how outspoken she is, to where it's just like, bro, like none of this matters. Like, geez, like would Pippi Longstocking go through this BS? No, she wouldn't. And it's Did like, you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you not love the scene where they're all sitting around and that one guy who's like obviously the scriptwriter is raving about like this is how the scene's gonna play out. Fate to black. Hans Zimmer is gonna score this. Oh my god! And she's like, hi, yeah, great work. I have a couple of notes. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, what did she say? She said either he writes them as like un like boring. Hitchcock characters or like Michael Bay dolls and she was like I and I know this is a crude language but I just loved it where she was like I know a lifetime of jerking off to Transformers didn't make you very popular with the ladies or something and I was dying I was dying at that like to me that scene was to the level of when the creators of the Harley Quinn show had like, the two characters of release the Snyder Cut and, like, Last Jedi is in canon t-shirts. Like, I just love that. That was so a, like, <laughs> we're talking to you, some of you nerdy kids out there. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it it's funny because um, I know a lot of people, like, I, I know a few people that left Transformers movies going, man, Megan Fox is, like, really hot. And I know a lot of other people that were like, man, I really love Transformers. And it was just, like, an eye-opener to, like, how different <laughs> society is geek-wise to where some people were just like, no, 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 I didn't really pay attention to, like, the movie. I just like Megan Fox. Um, and he definitely seems like the guy that came out of that theater, like, but did you see those Transformers? Um, so, like, I, I completely understand where she was uh, coming from. But, um, yeah, no, that scene was really, really, really hilarious. Um, but we also have to point out that um, Starlight got, um, did get the, uh, was the Compound V? Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? She did get mm-hmm. the Compound V from her S&M friend. That's what I'm going to call him. I don't care what his, what his actual character name is. <laughs> um, S&M friend. <laughs> <laughs> she did get the Compound V from uh, from him. A-Train almost catches her. We'll, we'll get to the, the other point of that of that situation, but almost catches her. But I believe she slipped it in Stormfront's uh, book bag or something um, as they were having their very weird heart-to-heart to where Stormfront was kind of just going, yeah, I don't want that. Don't, don't, don't try to talk to me. Um, and it was like, wait, what? Um, so that was definitely hilarious. But um, I'm trying to think that the biggest thing of, of uh, episode, I keep trying, trying to say season two of episode two. Um, I'd say we can get to, because I think this is still in episode two, um, where they made it known where Starlight uh, leaked the Compound V to, uh, to the media. Like, what, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Oh, I didn't expect that to happen so soon in the season. To me, that really feels like things are going to be, like, shaken up very quickly among the whole um, dynamic, right? Because you have these characters, the seven, and they're supposed to be these superheroes, and everything that they do is so meticulously marketed by Vought and even the fact that quote-unquote superheroes are born is what makes them so godlike to pretty much the whole entire America, right? And so this whole reveal of, oh no, it's just this like whole thing, um, you know, it's, it's a drug pretty much administered, really I think shook them up. But again, what I have to point out in that situation is how Cool, calm, and collected uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character. I think his name was, like, Stan or something. But how, like, cool he was in the face of all of that. It, while everyone's freaking out, you know, the numbers are plummeting, the freaking stockholders are mad and shit, people, you know, they're running this report constantly. He's there smirking because it's like he knows he can spin this to something Right. And then it's like, well, what does that mean for the seven? Right. Because there was Maeve's ex-girlfriend saying this is a good thing. Now you don't owe them anything. But it's like now I feel like the seven are going to have to function as if they were a real life superhero group, like as if they were a real life Justice League, you know, not one constructed by, say, a company. And that's so interesting because none of them like each other, like even more so than in Justice League. Like we've seen Justice League or even the Avengers, like they don't always particularly like each other, but like none of these people like each other. 
they're only there as a marketing ploy. So now they actually have to work together as a team under Homelander's supervision. So interesting. But what I liked in that whole thing was I wanted to point this out. I'm not sure if you were going to point it out. But obviously Starlight is so happy because she sees this and she, this is what she wanted. This is what her and Huey wanted. Um, And A-Train is upset over it. And he's like, you messed with the money, right? And she's like, who cares? There's more than just money. And there's more in life than just money. And A-Train, who I didn't really like A-Train at all in season one, but he makes a really good point. He's like, the only people who say that are people who have always had money. Um, and it got you thinking of like the type of person a train is that this was, this meant everything because this meant a life that probably he would have never been able to have without this. His family would have never been able to have without this. And it's like in that moment, I felt bad for a train and I almost felt bad in that situation. I said, like, Oh, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Maybe Starlight and Huey were a little overzealous um, in their mission. So that that is honestly how I felt. Yeah, and to me, what I always say is what I loved about what A-Train said and that you just brought up is it's the same mentality I have when people say money's not going to make you happy. It, it usually only comes from people with money. And it's like, well, what people with money keep forgetting is People that don't have money, the only thing stopping them from being happy is overwhelming and crippling debt. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, there's there's a meme, there's a meme, right, where it's like money can't buy happiness. It's like, no, literally money can – or no, it's like money can't solve your problems. Like, no, money would literally be able to solve every single one of my problems. I don't have one problem in my life that would not be solved by money. Um, and what A-Train said – Go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say what A-Train said in that moment reminded me. You saw the movie Snowpiercer, right? We've talked about this before. No. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So really quick, there's a scene in Snowpiercer where Ed Harris's character says to Chris Evans' character says, you know, um, people just need to be happy with their position in life. And Chris Evans' character goes, People in the best position always say that to people who are in the worst position. And it's like, that's how it felt like to me, because it's like Starlight did grow up, you know, in a nice little home in a nice little suburban area in America. Right. So it's clear that, you know, her it didn't look like her family was like rolling in dough, but they looked like they lived comfortably. And, of course, then Starlight wouldn't think that someone like A-Train probably wasn't living quite comfortably, and this was helping him. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's the, the ideology is always we're up here so we can look down and then judge from up here. But no mm-hmm. one ever takes a step back to realize, like, you're telling people who the only thing that's stopping them from truly being happy is not having money. Now, if you're trying to say money doesn't find you eternal peace, sure, because you can still have a miserable life with money. But what we keep trying to tell those people are 
you don't have the everyday problems we have. Like, picture being broke and dealing with depression and dealing with all other kinds of stuff. It all hits very hard. Now, picture being very rich, not having to worry about anything but being depressed. That's very manageable, <laughs> you know, but it's well, my out. whole thing is like my whole thing is and like this is going to get really philosophical. It's like, should money not matter in a perfect society, right, of how things should be? Yes, life shouldn't be about money, right? It shouldn't be about that. It should be about family. It should be about good times. You know, like money should not dictate the way it dictates life. But we don't live in that world. We live in reality. And this is how reality is. You can say reality sucks. And it does. That whole structure that's put in place absolutely sucks that there are people out there who are so miserable. And literally the only thing that's wrong is that they don't make the money that they should be making. But it is how it is. That's life. That's the reality. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of veered a little bit off topic, but I think that's that's important to to break down because A-Train was coming from the most mm-hmm. sincere uh, point of view that you can come from, which is, um, you know, we live in a world here where me and you, we just saw, like, the government kind of just go, hey, everybody, like, we're going to take away a whole bunch of resources and stuff from you guys, and it's like – the people taking away resources are always the people with the resources. So it's like, do you not know how hard it is on, on this side and you're you're trying to make it harder? Like, what? And then you try to tell us on the other side, hey, just be happy. Like, what? <laughs> like, that, that's not how <laughs> this works. Like, no. Like, we were happy when it was more beneficial to us. Um, you know, like, life has been beneficial for you guys for forever. Um, so his, his point was very valid and I'm really glad that you brought it up because I kind of forgot about it a little bit, but, um, it, it's something that is worth noting, um, because we do live in a world to where the 1% loves to tell the rest of the world, like, oh, just get over it. Like what? <laughs> uh, no, it's not that simple, but I do want to talk about somebody that I've completely left out of this entire review so far. And it's the D and I have to apologize. He is my least favorite character. Um, just because I find his character, like, overtly annoying. Um, so Tia, I will let you break down what the Deep has been up to since the events of, uh, season one. Well, so the funny thing about the Deep, right, is that I feel like his character is treated the way that we've always treated, say, Aquaman. Like, before Jason Momoa stepped into the role and made Aquaman, like, totally badass. Right? So the deep is completely disregarded, thrown to the side, like, yeah, you're just the aquatic dude. And then, of course, everything that happened with him with Starlight, obviously, he should be put in a timeout. And that's what he is. He's in a timeout, and he is in some bumblefuck in America. I forget where they sent him off to, but pretty much doing nothing. He's like overseeing like children's water parks or something. But the main thing that a reason why I want, listen, I only wanted to bring him up for one reason and one reason only. And that's because obviously the deep really wants to get back with the seven. And that clearly that Hawkeye knockoff character is trying to help him by getting him to join some weird 
Christian cult or whatever. There's so many weird religious cults in this freaking show. Um, and he has him take like shrooms and the fact that like his gills start singing to him voiced by the way, by Patton Oswalt. That's the only reason why I wanted to talk about him because I just thought that was so hilarious and really just played into like, this is what's crazy about the boys, right? It's poignant it's action-packed, it's gory as hell, and then it's weird as hell. And this was the weird as hell moments, the fact that literally he, the deep is high on shrooms and his gills are singing to him. And then his gills are bringing up some good-ass points, too. At one point, his gills said, you know, you've always been ashamed of yourself and you're ashamed of your body, and that's why you have to degrade women and degrade their bodies. And it's like, why are the speaking gills making points right now? (laughs) And no, it's actually funny you say that because we can loop it back into the end of uh, episode two where um, they have Kimiko's brother and, you know, Billy is trying to get uh, um, the brother to the rendezvous point. So they're traveling by boat as to, you know, not be easily detected. And the deep... (laughs) <laughs> finds them, sends dolphins after them. I really don't know how comfortable I felt seeing them shoot at dolphins. Um, but I know, sh- that was a bit much. <laughs> of course it'd be Billy doing it. Of course, only Billy would. Um, Billy shooting at dolphins. Um, and then ultimately we see uh, things go horribly wrong when Frenchie tries to sympathize with Kimiko's brother and gets, um, and you know, her brother finds the can, crushes it, and starts to loosen his restraints. He becomes completely free uh, when his powers spiral, and he uh, completely destroys a a cop chopper. A cop chopper. I shouldn't have tried to say it like that. Uh, But a police helicopter um, completely kills anyone in there. Huey tries to save them. Billy's like, we have no time. We gotta get to the rendezvous point. Um, Then we see out of nowhere, the deep pulls up with a whale. Um, and normally you would go, that would stop a normal individual. Billy said, I am anything but, and plows that, uh, that little mini boat right clean through that whale. Uh, Billy (laughs) said, hold my beer. (laughs) I don't think any superhero show can top that. Uh, I, I, I don't think you could top that. But anyway, to loop it back to your point about how wild his, his gills talking to him are. Uh, and how subconscious he is about it. Um, After Billy and the gang crash through the whale and knock uh, the deep unconscious, uh, they all escape literally moments before the seven arrive. Um, Homelander comes down and goes, you got a hole there, cover that up. That that stuff's disgusting. No one wants to see that. Um, And it only furthers, like, that's that's why he's so depressed about (laughs) showing the gills. First of all, two points that, right? Homelander is very, um, I don't know if prejudice is the right word or just, like, hateful of anyone who, quote-unquote, has, like, a form of disability, right? We saw how he was with the one guy who was blind, and now he sees that with the deep. That, though, to me, I feel like, I don't know why. I could be totally wrong here. It could just, like, send the deep into another spiraling depression, That, though, almost to me felt like that could be the deep turning point of him accepting himself. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him running around with no shirt anymore. Like, just full on, like, this is who I am. 
like, here are my gills, deal with it. But I had to point out in that scene, and again, this is, like, why Black Noir is one of the best characters, the subtlety. First of all, we didn't even mention how he was crying, and that was my fault, too. I forgot about that, how Black Noir was crying, listening to the reports of how the superheroes are made, not born. But in that scene with the whale where the deep is talking about how, you know, obviously Billy and the guys just murdered the whale, you know, obviously no one else cares. Homelander's like, whatever, Starlight's like, screw you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's Black Noir, and he literally just puts his hand on his chest, like as if he, he is feeling the deep pain. And I was like, this is why Black Noir is like one of the best characters in the show. It's the subtleties. It's the subtleties. No, it, it definitely is, and I definitely hope we see a lot more from his character going forward. Um, but we do end the episode um, with, um, obviously, uh, Homelander, Stormfront, and the rest of the gang. Um, I think it's Starlight comes finds Huey, or Huey finds Starlight. Um, she blasts him as to keep her cover in front of Homelander, and then Homelander, you know, freaks out because he realizes that, you know, they got something going on. So he says, you know what? Do me a favor. Kill him right now. And obviously she's, you know, struggling with it, and he goes, tell you what, I'll make this easy. If you don't kill him, I'll kill you, then I'll kill him. Um, (laughs) So uh, you obviously see her lighting up her hands to, to obviously take out um, Huey, but it's difficult for. Her. And then I'm not going to repeat what he says, but then <laughs> good old Billy Butcher comes in to save the day, um, releasing Kimiko's brother to uh, take out Stormfront. I mean, not Stormfront. I'm sorry, uh, take out Homelander and completely bury him under like an entire street. Um, but we do see this quickly escalate as Kimiko, uh, chases after her brother who, who's trying to escape. The whole, uh, you know, chase scene ends with Stormfront just obliterating Kimiko's brother. Um, I've never seen hands bend like that. Um, that was pretty bad. Um, that's a pretty horrible way to die. And then, like, she just strangled him. Um... And then she's like, now open your eyes. I want to see the light leave. I'm like, whoa, you are dark. I'm like, that is crazy. But Tia, walk me through seeing that very emotional, emotional scene of uh, Stormfront killing Kimiko's brother. So I do have to say that I think that we definitely skipped to to episode three uh, because this was at the end. Of episode three, all this that happened. Episode two was them revealing that uh, compound V and the fallout of everything. Right. Uh, the fallout of that, the fallout of um, uh, you know the, the team dealing with the idea that they were factory made. It wasn't necessarily born that way, um, and it was tough for a lot of them. We even saw. I think you even brought this up, but we even saw. <laughs> Uh, Black Noir crying, um, you know, because they all thought they were special. And it's like, no, you know what it reminded me of, Tia? It reminded me of the Stark line to where it was like, everything special about you was made in a box. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not truly special. You were you were just scientifically made. Um, 
But I will say the funniest thing of episode two before we obviously, because I, I completely skipped over and ended in episode two. But the funniest thing about um, episode two was definitely st- <laughs> Homelander trying to teach his son to fly. Oh my god, we forgot about that. <laughs> And she comes running out, and she's like, oh, my God, are you okay? And, and he's like, he's fine. He's my son. And then he gets up, got a scratch on him, and I'm like, I thought he was dead. Like, I really thought it was going to turn out like, oh, <laughs> Oh, my God. That, like, literally. <laughs> I can't. Hold on there fully, which is like, <laughs> what is that? I'm going to butcher it. Like, I saw things online where he's like, he yeeted him off of the freaking room. It's like, when he just, like, yeeted him off, I was like, oh, that's it. That's, that's, that's it. He just killed his son. Like, the way they did it was so anticlimactic, but it it was perfect in that sense, right? And then poor, oh, God, poor Becca. I feel so bad for her character. They just brought her back to torture her, honestly. Um... She comes out and she sees her kid. Like, can you imagine how, like, heartbreaking that is? And Homelander kept being, like, um, saying, oh, no, he's my son. Don't worry about it. Like, calm down. And I was wondering at at what point is Homelander going to realize that this kid doesn't have powers and that you very well could have killed your child. But they went in the different direction, which was very interesting. And the kid, and I'm so happy that the kid doesn't have this like false sort of admiration for Homelander, knows very quickly how much of a monster he is because we see him push Homelander away and his eyes going red. So obviously meaning that he has inherited Homelander's powers, at least some of his powers. And mind you, this is completely new territory that this story is going in. Um, Spoiler alert, but in the comics, Becca does die uh, from her pregnancy. That whole story that they do, I don't know if you remember in season one, but the scientist lies to Homelander and says, oh, she was pregnant. It happened really fast. The baby literally clawed out of her uterus and she died and the baby drowned within like a minute or something of the blood, right? That's what really happens in the comics. So this is completely uncharted territory that they're going in. It'll be interesting what they really plan to do with this child. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I thought the swerve was going to be that um, the kid doesn't have any powers and it was really Billy's. That's the swerve I thought it was going to take. Um, I, I don't have any issues with, you know, it actually being uh, Homelander's son. Um, well, I mean, it will be interesting because we know this show is not shy on casualties. Um, so it's a good chance she doesn't make it out of this season. It's a good chance a lot of people don't make it out of this season. Um, so it'll be very interesting how this all plays out, but, um, I'm watching the end of episode two here, and I'm like, yeah, I definitely skipped over. I don't know why I thought I was talking about episode two. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, so we were kind of all over the place with episode two, but episode two does end with the moment I talked about where, um, they sedate Kimiko's brother, and Huey gets decked out by, um... By uh, by Billy, and that's how the episode ends. Um, but to go into episode three, before we we round this out, 
Was there anything I was missing about episode three that you wanted to talk about? I loved in episode three, I don't know if you remember, but when they were on the boat and Billy kind of says to Huey, oh, you know, hopefully there's no hard feelings that I gave you that little shiner there. Everything's good between us, right? And poor Huey goes to, like, punch him, but it's clearly, like, such a weak punch. But you can, this is what I'm saying, you can, like, feel how angry Huey is. You can feel how just done he is. And so there is that. And then also, again, why I really like the character of Mother's Milk is, I don't know if you remember, but when the when they crash into the whale and they're all escaping the whale, Huey's just sitting there because I, this really is taxing for Huey. I, I'm not trying to apologize for him, but this is a lot for this kid, and he's definitely dealing with some sort of level of shell shock because at some point he just kind of sits there. My mother's milk goes in, and he's like, you know, we got to go. And he's like, no, I'm just... I'm just going to sit here. And Mother's Milk's like, okay, well, I guess that I'm going to sit here too. And, of course, that gets Huey to leave because, you know, he's not going to jeopardize Mother's Milk, which is where it's funny that these are the times that Mother Mother's Milk shows that he could be a leader, um, just maybe in different circumstances, right? But I also... Well, okay, so this will be more towards the end. We'll talk about this. But, yeah, for for the most part, I think that's all really I have to say about it. And we can kind of get into the final moments, if you'd like, unless there was something else you wanted to talk about. Um, No, I mean, I, I think to me that, that was it. I, the, the biggest thing to me was um, how insane this episode three was, honestly. Uh, driving through whales, shooting dolphins, uh, dropping entire like an entire street uh, or a road on top of Homelander. Um, Storm that was so great. Seeing Stormfront's powers, um, like all that, really just was kind of like that's a lot to take in. Like that, that that was very exciting for me. So, I definitely want to talk about that scene with Stormfront, right? Because so, I again, I don't know if you know this based on the comics, right? Which I haven't watched, the, I haven't read the comics, obviously. I just did research. But the character of Stormfront is originally a male in the comics and, right. is, a ra- and is a raging racist. Like, Nazi Hitler-level racist. Um, and I didn't know if they were going to touch upon that in the show, which is why I was very hesitant about being her fan. I'm seeing all these people online. They're like, just finished episode one, love Stormfront. And I'm like, you won't want to in another episode or so. Um, and you see her and she's chasing after Kamiko's brother. Right. And she is just terrifying. Her powers are terrifying. Um, and as she goes in, she obviously goes into this one home that has, you know, these African-American family in it. There's no need at all for what she did. She just looked at them with disgust and literally killed the father unnecessarily, 
threw another person of color out a window, essentially destroyed for no reason a whole floor in this building because maybe you could presume that maybe the building had a lot of people of color in it and then goes up, tortures Kamiko's brother and literally calls him the, the Y word. I'm not going to repeat it, but literally says an Asian slur to him as she's killing him. So it's so very clear that they're keeping that aspect of that character in this show. And then of course that just makes her all the more two faced when she's sitting there uh, during the relief uh, thing saying, Oh, let's give all these people in the neighborhood a round of applause. And then you see that. And I'll pause for a second so you can comment on that if you'd like, but really quick, you see the look between Stormfront and Homelander, and Homelander's not happy, and she's going to give him a run for his money. And I actually watched today, like, the top ten facts about Stormfront that you don't know. And in the comics, they make it apparent that it's Homelander as the most powerful, and right underneath is Stormfront. So take it away, John. Yeah, I always viewed um, Stormfront and Homelander of this show, not of the comics, to be like Wonder Woman and Superman. So whereas like if Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman could take Superman, it's just not really likely. Um, but she's very she's strong enough to do it. It's just really difficult. That's how I view Stormfront and in Homelander. Um but she's coming for the crown. And and what's funny is it's hard to root for, but you want to because it looks like she wants to switch up the ideology of how Hollywood works. Um, to where women are right. sex symbol and they don't really need you to talk, just stand there and look pretty and smile and all that. Like she wants to break that, but it's kind of hard to really, you know, root for that when you're like just murdering innocent black people just cause, you know, cause I guess they're witnesses and then using racial slurs. Um, like it's like, whoa, okay. So all that fan service is gone now. Uh, well, and then. And then also, I listen, I did a lot of looking at this character, and look at her uniform next time you really look at it, right? Not only does it look a little, first of all, it looks very, like, akin to the bad guys in Star Wars, right? But on her belt, she has an eagle, and that is not the American eagle. That is the eagle that is in, like, Nazi symbols, right? You know, look at like look online about that and look at her belt. That's the eagle on her belt. I'm like, wow, they really did those subtle little nuances to slip that in there of this character. Yeah, no, they don't they don't shy away from a lot. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a character that you kind of go. The philosophy is there and makes sense, but ultimately, you're a really, like, shitty person. Uh, And that's ultimately what it comes down to. But I'll tell you what stood out to me, Tia, as we wrap this up. Seeing Kimiko stare at that television screen. Mm -hmm. Watching Stormfront, uh, you know, be celebrated as a hero, knowing that she just murdered her brother and so many other people. Um... I was loving it. Those eyes told you we can expect they'll be seeing each other again um, very soon. 
Um, I'm gonna oh, go that's ahead. gonna be such a sorry. Go ahead. Good. No, I was gonna say that is gonna be such a great showdown. I cannot wait for it. Kamiko versus Stormfront. I'm here for it. But you are right with Stormfront. It's so difficult, right? It's so difficult because it's like you have Stormfront, who's revealed to be like a shitty person. But then you have Homelander, who we know is a shitty person, and you're like, oh no, I don't know who to root for in this moment. You're both awful. <laughs> yeah, completely awful. Like, the worst of the worst. And, and, and what's funny is, what I was going to say is, um, and to all, you know, to people listening, we have only seen three episodes. We have not gotten screeners. Right. Anything we say is assumptions. Um, you know, just pretty much guessing, but I'm going to go ahead and assume Kimiko is who will kill Stormfront. Um, you don't build that up and then it's like, oh, they killed her together. Like, I'll be very disappointed if Homelander kills Stormfront, uh, not Kimiko. And yes, I know it sounds horrible that I want Stormfront to die. Um, but you don't mess with Karen Fukuhara and think I'm going to let that go. Um, so she has to go. I see that I, I saw a trailer, right, for upcoming episodes, and it seems like Queen Maeve and Starlight team up at some point to try to take Stormfront down, because there's a trailer that shows Maeve going up against Stormfront, so I'm like, that's going to happen, but... um I don't know if you're going to get to it. Um, it's, I think, literally the last scene in the episode. It's while Kamiko's staring at the screen. But you have a scene between Huey and Billy kind of just looking at each other. And it's as if Huey, it finally, like, snaps in him, like, okay, this is my leader. And now I understand. Like, it, it's one of those things, like, now I understand. It seems like they're back on the same page again. Yeah, I, I think at that moment, Huey understood um, what Billy was really fighting for. Like, it's not Billy just fighting for himself. He's just fighting to get a life back, um, which is ultimately what they all want. So instead of fighting, work together to, to get the common goal. Like, Billy wants these guys dead as much as Huey does, and he wants his life back as much as Huey does. Um, so I think ultimately what Huey's going to have to realize is, you got you got to figure this out. It's the only it's the only way for us to achieve this is for us to work together. I am going to say this to you as much as me and you don't want to hear this. I could see Billy dying this season. I could be I could see that as a sacrifice. Like you to me I pay attention to the little things. You kind of you kind of harping on leadership uh to start this season. Harping on Huey like are are you going to lead us? No, I didn't think so. All right, so we need Billy. When you harp on it as much as they did in in those three episodes, it sounds like you're gearing up for Huey to at some point be the leader of the boys. Um, and what I'm looking forward to is seeing, because we see how the seven grows, and we see how there's superpowered people all over. I want to know, can uh, you know, are we going to see the boys roster grow? Um, like, if you do have someone like Carl Urban die, to me, that's not a one character replaces uh, kind of feel. It's like you might need it by committee, so maybe one or two people join in. Um, you know, and there was a mention in these three episodes of Soldier Boy that we do know will be played by yes. Supernatural alone uh, next season. So we Jensen do know we'll some. Uh, yep, we will be seeing some fresh faces 
Yeah, um, Soldier Boy is a really interesting character, depending on the iteration that they go with. But um, essentially what I was seeing today is that he's trying to be the boy's version of Captain America, right? Um, Kanan also revealed some very horrific things that go on in the comics between Homelander and Soldier Boy, which I won't mention on air, but I'm like, oh, God, are they going to go in that direction? You never know with this show. But I would be very upset if they killed Billy, but it would be a redemption arc, right? Oh, my God, how bad would it be if he does save his life right? He gets everything, like, things are going to be good, but you found out that in the middle of all this, Billy has been, like, fatally wounded. He's just bleeding out this whole time. He just wanted to see Becca and see the kid just one last time, and knowing they'd have a good life, and then he dies. I can see it. I I honestly can see it, to be completely honest with you. I I could see it happening, and I'm preparing my heart for it, Tia. Um, I'm bracing myself for it. But these three episodes were amazing. I cannot wait till next Friday. Honestly, they should have just done three episodes of Friday. Give us three next Friday, and then the last two the following week, or take like a two-week break and then give us the final two. I don't know. I just, I, I'm never a fan of streaming services that I'm paying money for making me wait. Like, what? Like, that's like going to a restaurant, and they're like, hey, uh, you guys mind if, like, we serve everybody else and then come to you? Like, no, I'm a paying customer. You you feed me at, at an appropriate time. You know, it's like, yeah, give, I don't, give me what I, I want. Don't Go ahead. No, I was gonna. Sorry, sorry. I was gonna say, yeah, no, I agree totally. Like that, I would have rather that. Give me the, you know, in chunks of episodes. But come on, you mean that now next week I'm gonna get just one? This is not Juan. This is not a just one type of show. Yeah. No, I, I'm completely with you. And and to me, it's just like I don't. I would like to know why. They do it like that. Uh, they're doing it like that. Same reason I want to know why Disney is. Like, what do you think, what are you getting algorithm-wise that you can't get if you release it all at once? I don't understand it. I don't understand it one bit. I don't either. And we have to get ourselves ready for The Mandalorian Season 2 to do that. Um, and it just, it's, it's, it's stupid. Just give me everything. That's why it's like, Netflix, you're king right now. Because it's like... They'll just drop it, and it's like, thank you. I have it. I watch it, and, you know, if I want to watch it again, I can. If not, then you got my, you know, my views. Like, I, I watched it. Um, but, yeah, that that is super annoying. But all in all, Tia, I give these first three episodes an A+. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I would say I give them an A-plus as well. They did their job in really reeling you in, giving you the typical – you know what was great about this is that it felt like the boys, but it also did what a show in its second season should do, and it grew. This is no longer the freshman year. You're no longer having an introduction to these characters, for the most part, except for, you know, maybe Stormfront or so. You know who these characters are. You would expect, after everything they've been through in season one, for it to feel like this is just a continuation, and that's what it felt like. And I, I'm so excited. I just... I. 
as we just talked about, I hate that next week is going to be literally just one episode, and then that's it. Yeah, no, I, I'm completely with you. Um, it, it's just, it's eerily frustrating, because it's just like, you're too damn good to make us wait. Like, what, 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 what the hell kind of teasing is that? Um, but it's what these streaming services do best to you. Nothing we can do. Um, but we love these first three episodes. Make sure you guys check out the first three episodes of The Boys on Amazon Prime. Huge shouts out to T and Dom, who have almost interviewed the entire cast and crew of The Boys. <laughs> uh, make sure you guys listen to those interviews. Um, all really good listens, and some of them are just articles. Really good uh, reads also. Make sure you guys check that out and stay tuned this weekend for an all-new Top 10 we did a Geek Vibes Live uh, a few days ago. Make sure you guys check that out. And unless you got anything else, Tia, uh, we can get out of here. Uh, no, just make sure that you check us out, geekvibesnation.com. It has links to all of our social and media accounts there. We post news, uh, opinion pieces, movie reviews, interviews, just as Juwan would say. And be sure that we will be giving you our reviews and our honest opinions of the boys as it comes out weekly. So, yeah, thank you, Joan, for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Let us know what you thought about these first three episodes, and we'll see you next time. Peace.